unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Thanks again for hitting that play button on the podcast device of your choice. Coming up on today's show, another broadcaster breakdown with my guys Adam Eaton and Eric Lopez. We're going to focus on Major League Baseball announcers. Eric and Adam standing by in the Virgil Green Room and will join us in just a moment. We'll also touch on the uh, on the uh, Maria Taylor, Rachel Nichols drama going on at ESPN. So uh, that conversation is coming up. Meanwhile, we are at the All-Star break and Home Run Derby played last night. Pete Alonzo goes back to back as he uh, is the champion once again. You know, I like the concept of Home Run Derby. I just don't like how it's a mega hours and hours long production. It takes too long. Do we need eight guys? Do we cut it down to four? I mean, I know you want some competition there. And, you know, it, it, you know, shorter rounds because, you know, home runs are great. But, you know, you keep seeing a guy hit the ball 500 feet. Even that gets a little tiresome sometimes, right? Or am I and I um, the outlier on that? I don't know. But uh, regardless, uh, Pete Alonzo uh, wins. Trey Mancini, what a great story. The Baltimore Orioles star who battled cancer in 2020 and made it all the way back. And he is the runner-up in the All-Star Home Run Derby. And uh, that's a great story, no matter how you slice it. Of course, the All-Star game... Uh, we talked about this a little bit last week with uh, with Joe Finger and Jay Cresswell. You know, it doesn't have the shine that it once had. I will probably tune in at the beginning just to see the wonder of Shohei Otani, who will be both a pitcher and a hitter in this ball game, leading off as a batter, and uh, we'll take the mound as well. And a uh, great opportunity for him to be uh, put out there uh, as far as uh, the marketing of baseball is concerned. Um, you know, uh, guys that skip the all-star game that aren't hurt, you know, it, it, uh, my buddy Keith Feeney told me today, he said, you know, if the players don't care, why should the fans care? And I think that's a lot of the reason why the all-star game has become more of a lukewarm presentation. And as we talked about last week, they're not wearing their own uniforms. Boo. <laughs> and one last baseball note. Commissioner Rob Manfred saying in his State of the Baseball Union address, seven inning doubleheaders likely to go away after this season, as well as the extra innings runner on second. Um, You know, these measures put into play uh, because of COVID and everything like that. I kind of like the seven inning doubleheaders. Uh, Gets things moving along quickly. And the runner on second, I like that more than I thought I would. But... um, you know, I don't have a problem with it going back to the standard uh, issue of you go to extra innings and you uh, you you start with you start with a clean slate. So, uh, nonetheless, those two uh, rule changes uh, will go by the boards. The designated hitter now that'll be an interesting case to see what happens there because you know you look at that uh, uh, that aspect that uh, it's more more jobs for the major league players. To have the DH in the National League. And I think that will come to pass, although I think the pitchers now are starting to uh, <laughs> kind of uh, 
raise a little bit of a, an eyebrow about that. Uh, you know, you look at uh, Max Fried pinch hitting and getting a game winning hit for the Braves against the Marlins. The uh, Padres reliever is like his second only at bat hitting a home run, a grand slam off a of Scherzer. And then you have Otani. So, uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe the pitchers have been inspired to uh, get some work in in the batting cages. All right, once again, time to bring on my broadcasting breakdown buddies as we discuss Major League Baseball announcers. We say hello once again to Eric Lopez and Adam Eaton. Gentlemen, thanks for being on. It's good to talk to you boys. It's a tradition unlike any other. It's summertime. It's baseball. It's it's broadcasting gossip. Yeah, and broadcaster breakdown buddies is fantastic alliteration, Jeff. No, no finer way to kick off this broadcast. <laughs> yeah, we, we all we need now is a logo, right? <laughs> That's all we need. <laughs> there you go. So uh, before we get to that, though, I, I thought it would be interesting uh, to discuss the uh, uh, the Maria Taylor Rachel Nichols drama that is going on at ESPN. So you know, everybody pretty much knows the story by now that Rachel Nichols was uh, complaining to a confidant. Uh, about uh, Marie Taylor being somewhat of a diversity hire in taking her spot at NBA Countdown. That, of course, ended up on camera and ends up uh, uh, causing a bit of a, uh, a crap storm at the four-letter network. So, you know, my first th- uh, thoughts that come to mind in-, in this situation is that ESPN has totally mismanaged this situation. This is something that happened in 2020, and it's like they stuck their heads in the sand and thought the problem would just go away on its own. And it did not. And, it, you know, you figure, you know, that thing is just going to fester and fester and it finally boils over. The other problem I see in this situation is the camera in the hotel room. You know, first of all, Rachel's is going to be a little bit smarter to know that there's, she's got television equipment in her hotel room might want to make sure everything is off and Lord knows who's watching and what could happen there. There could have been all sorts of weird stuff, you know, that could have happened uh, in that situation if it was caught on video or anything like that. And then my third thought regarding the situation is, does it really matter who hosts NBA countdown? Because this show dwarfs so badly to uh, TNT's uh, offering uh, that it really doesn't matter to me who's doing NBA countdown, whether it's Maria Taylor, Richard Nichols, or anybody else. In fact, one of the best ideas I heard floated was that ESPN should pay Turner to produce their uh, their pre and post game show using the the Turner talent. So that's just a a thought for uh, interesting discussion, nonetheless. So uh, let's get your guys' thoughts on it. Adam, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think there's a lot of layers to this, Jeff, and it's kind of tricky to to talk through. I think the biggest um, takeaway I have is this is really, to me, a communication problem. And and obviously, we understand and I think we can all recognize that the things that Rachel uh, said on a hot mic uh, obviously are uh, certainly not things that are uh, are probably appropriate to be said. uh, And and she'll have to deal with the consequences of that. But to me, it's a communication breakdown, because if I heard her correctly, what she was stating in some of that, and, and again, you can go to the divisive period of this and say, oh, my God, this is what she's 
said about Maria Taylor and, and, and all that is, is, is well and true. But there's, a, there's another meat and potato side of this, which is she's saying, this is in my contract. Like I, I was contractually obliged to host this show and, and now I'm not hosting the show. And, and no one's telling me why and I don't quite get any feedback on it. And so I'm, I'm curious why, why this isn't happening and, and I'm mad about it. And I think if we're all going to be honest for a second, if any one of us had a job and all of a sudden you show up at work tomorrow and like, oh, by the way, someone else is going to do your job now. And you're like, well, wait a minute. What, what, I have to, why is my job taken away? I want some communication here. And I think that's where ESPN failed is, is the communication aspect of this. Not having a conversation with Rachel about what their plans were if they wanted to make a change. Not having a conversation with maybe Maria about what their plans were if they want to make a change. Maybe getting the two of them together and figuring out a way to communicate through it, right? So I think that's the first issue is it starts way before this, this taped um, you know, uh, conversation takes place. Secondly, I think you said it, Jeff, they've, they've had this information for a year and, and they sat on it and a low level producer essentially is the only person who paid any sort of penalty for it at this point. And again, no communication takes place over 12 months and all of a sudden becomes a story and now they have to respond to it. So while there certainly are some, uh, I, I think some things that Rachel said that are, are going to grab attention and, and rightfully so, to me, it boils down to communication and ESPN's lack of communication with all parties involved to, to indicate this is what we want to do. This is the direction we're going into. And I think if if we're going to be honest in a second, if you take away some of the divisive language, which I know it's hard to do, you know, Rachel's reaction is probably pretty similar to anybody else. Why am I being stripped of the job I thought I had? Um, now she asked it a different way. And, and I think that's what's going to get the headlines. But to me, it's a, com- a communication breakdown on ESPN across all fronts. And unfortunately, um, you know, now they've got a festering issue on their hands that Spoiler alert, they're not communicating very well through again. So I think you're, 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 you're watching that continue to play out as, <laughs> as they And let me just say the other thing about communication that was really, really bad is, you know, it has to be addressed, right? So Rachel gets on The Jump, which is the show she hosts. She does a quick little on-camera apology situation. And then they leave poor Kendrick Perkins and Richard Jefferson out there to sort of just take the baton and start talking. Um, and, and now you're forced, those two gentlemen, to, to pick a side, if you will, to, to come up with some articulate points. I'm all for the apology part. I think you have to address the elephant in the room. That should have been a, a one-shot Rachel in front of a camera talking to something, maybe cut to a commercial, come back and start the regular show off the top. You, you, you sort of put those two guys in a really awkward position to have to kind of, kind of speak up and, and make a declaration on something that they have nothing to do with. So I think, again, ESPN failed in just the way they let Rachel communicate it out to the public on her, her side of the events because they forced those two guys to basically sit up there and look foolish for, for two and a half, three minutes. Um, so again, communication just, just falls apart on ESPN's part. Yeah, probably would have better served if she just said her apology and said, okay, guys, let's talk about boom, and, and, and move on. So, uh, Eric, your thoughts? Well, well, I think there's the, the interesting uh, deal about this, and, and Adam referenced to her, her contract, in the fall of 2019, and I follow this because I get a lot of press releases. I'm big. On, I'm the biggest fan of network press releases. I get a, I'm, I'm subscribed to so many ESPN, Fox, because I do. I'm in re- – I'm interested on you know getting those type of information. When they came out and they always come out before an M- a season of a sport, what their plans are for the coverage. And in the fall of 2019, when the NBA- ESPN came out with their plans, they announced that Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor were going to host share the the hosting the pregame countdown, but that Rachel Nichols would be the host for the finals. That was in their press release. <laughs> so she's right. She was supposed to host the finals. That was their contract. She's probably telling the truth. So 
obviously something happened. Now, Connor Shell at the time was in, quoted in that press release. He left after that. So could that have caused a change in their thinking? Could that be that they just decided that Maria Taylor was just better as a host? I don't know. This is part of the problem they've always had with the pregame is they make quick judgments. They don't stick with anything. They just make changes for the sake of making changes. But I do think she was supposed to host the finals, and it changed. And in fairness, there's not a lot of women that host pre. Like, this is a big deal for them. Like, you asked the question, Jeff, is this really a big deal? Maybe not to us, but to her and to Maria Taylor in their profession, this is a big deal. And we kind of forget... We assume, you know, we always say athletes are competitive. I think everybody's competitive. And I don't think, I don't, I think Rachel was acting there to me more as a competitor. And she was ticked because she, she's not better than me. And Maria's probably said, well, I'm better than her. They're competitive. And what happened is it got personal. And where they dropped the ball is, to me, that happens. First of all, it's illegal to record somebody. So, there are, you could argue there are two grounds right now that Rachel Nichols has where she could sue ESPN. She could sue them on that illegally recording a conversation and breaching her contract if it's correct that she's in her contract says she's hosting the finals or even working the finals because obviously they pulled her this year. So there are some issues there. But the, the other issue, and, and Adam makes a great point about this, the lack of, okay, so this happens a year ago. This is not the, now. This was a year ago. How was there not a meeting? Like, if this were to happen, can you imagine if Adam and Mike had a disagreement off the air and wouldn't address it? Like, they would just let it fester for a year? Like, that doesn't like, that's insane. Like Mike and the Mad Dog. <laughs> right, like Mike and the Mad Maybe that's a good, a better example. Yeah, you're right. To me, how does nobody at ESPN sit those two aside and say, let's hatch it out, work it out? That never happened. To the point where it got really... To me, petty, where the, if you read the article where, you know, Maria Taylor didn't want Rachel Nichols in the pregame and, like, they had to do this thing where she was in it, but it was pre, pre-recorded. Like, what is this? Ele- elementary school? Like, what are we doing here? Um, so I think everybody's come off childish. Um, and what's going to be interesting is they could, in theory, lose both of them. That's the irony. Maria Taylor's contract runs out. Game six on the day of this game six – which I think is going to be fascinating. And this whole thing probably would not have blown up if this did, wasn't used as negotiations. You know, they, they leaked out what Maria Taylor was asking for. You know that came from ESPN. And I think this was a response from Maria Taylor's camp, if I had to guess, that leaked the story this, that, hey, this is what I've been dealing with basically over the last year. So it's gotten ugly, and it's not good. It's never good when the commissioner of the league has to address this. Like he had, like Adam Silver had to in his press conference before the start of the finals. But I think lack of communication is a very good way of describing this from Adam. But I don't think people realize this. Rachel Nichols was supposed to host the finals. They even announced that. So clearly they went away from that. And that's what got her upset. Eventually she agreed to do sideline. But now they pulled her from doing sideline now because of this backlash a year later. Yeah, and you know it, it. It looks to me, you know, ESPN's management looks nothing short of buffoonery <laughs> when you when you really uh, slice and dice that. 
Yeah, again, it's just uh, on all fronts, right? I think to to Eric's point, every, if you like made a checklist of the things that you should do to handle the situation, they have, they have checked off none of the boxes, right? And to the point where, yeah, they are at risk of losing both of these individuals who are both very talented. Maria Taylor obviously does a lot of stuff for ESPN on the college football side as well. Uh, And and Rachel obviously hosts the jump and has been a a quality reporter for a number of years. So they're at risk of losing both of these two talents based on the fact that, that no one could sit down and figure out a way to work this out. And, and look, we all ha- are in workplaces where you work with somebody you don't really like. It happens all the time, but you're professional enough. You, you put your feelings aside. You go to, you go to work, you do your job. I know that this person's job is to do this. My person, my job is to do this. And if we have to cross paths, we do so cordially, we move on. It happens every single solitary day in corporate America. It could have happened here as well with a little amicable, um, you know, conversation and discussion. And I think, again, that's where, that's where ESPN drops the ball. And then the continued missteps afterwards, which it's just funny. So then, then you let the story fester because the very next day, ESPN says, Rachel's fine. She's going to host the jump. No problem. She'll be there. And guess what? The jump doesn't air that day. It airs every single day at the exact same time. And the next day, for whatever reason, it was preempted for, I don't know, Olympic uh, curling. I have no idea what it was, right? <laughs> and so you, you allow it to fester again, no communication. And it just seems like if you had a, a crisis management checklist of check all these boxes when a PR crisis hits, ESPN's like, ah, we can't find the pen. And they haven't checked any of the boxes. And they pulled her from sideline to the finals. They announced that on the press release. And I remember because I was I was waiting for that press release because that was I mean, once that all came out Sunday, I'm like, all right, what are they going to do here? And they usually come out a day before the start of the event. They waited till the morning of and then they're like, oh, by the way, Rachel Nichols will not be doing sideline because we don't want this to be a distraction. What? (laughs) Like. (laughs) You just pulled her. But this is going to be a distraction. What are you talking about? And um, you're right. The whole thing with the jump was weird. Like, you let her go on Monday, but you don't let her go on Tuesday. And now it's awkward because you're now focusing on, well, who's coming on the show? If they're on the jump, does that mean they're on Rachel's side? They're Maria's side. Nobody knows. Um, And it's fascinating because Rachel Nichols has more connections in the NBA. She's covered the NBA for a long time. I remember meeting her in the 09 finals when the Magic played the Lakers. And she covered that. That's right. That's a that's a that's a that's a that's a nice sound uh, drop there. Name dropping. I like to do that. That's correct. Pretty good. Um, so you have that. Meanwhile, Maria Taylor is a newbie. Just joined this, and uh, but yeah, it's a mess. It's a big mess. And I and it's still not over yet because aren't, aren't you all part of part of you kind of rooting for this to go at least six games to see what happens? Like, Adam, I mean, Jeff, you could become you could be get a phone call and be called to host Game Seven if it goes to seventh game. Yeah, somehow I don't think they have my number. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting not to plug another show, but uh, Amin El Hassan, who was previously with ESPN, is now part of Dan Lebetard's uh, Medial Arc Media Network. He was on with Lebetard, and, and obviously now he has free reign to discuss the situation. And, and he had some really interesting comments to make about behind-the-scenes stuff, working with both Rachel, Maria, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski was was quoted in the New York Times piece, uh, and, and Amin El Hassan just took a took a blowtorch to, uh, to Woj and, and some of his reporting practices. So, uh, and not to, not to plug another show, but it's an, really interesting if you guys want more insight on it. Um, I would definitely check that out. There's, there's certainly a lot of curse wars involved. So if uh, you have young ones around, maybe maybe wait till they're, uh, they're not available. But it's but another it's a example. fascinating breakdown. It, it does. I, I listen to that, though. But I, I, and I think, you know, people jump into the whole racial lines and things like that. A lot of this is competitiveness. Yeah. Like a Woj, I think what I took from it is Woj wants the scoops. He doesn't want to compete. I mean, you know, it's been rumors that he got rid of Mark Stein or help was part of the reason. And these, all these people are competitive and they'll do whatever they got to do to stay ahead of the game. I mean, it's a competitive field because 
it's it's a you know everybody's competitive when it comes to this. They want to be the first to this. They want to get the news with it. So. I did find it amusing that well, she kind of was quoted, I guess, in the saying it was that Rachel is a bad teammate. <laughs> like, I just wish it's a, it's a very amusing. But look, it speaks to the beginning of this draft. It's perfect way to describe the pregame for ESPN has always been an issue going back to when they got the games, how many different hosts they have, the formatting of the show, the scripting of the show. I personally think that hosting job has been a kiss of death. When I remember when Maria Taylor was joining, I'm like, I don't know if that's the best move, which sounds crazy, but she had a good thing going with college football and the women's bat, you know, but she wanted, you know, the NBA. It's a kiss of death. I'm not sure anybody should want that gig right now unless, and Bill Simmons, I'll, I'll mention this because he was a part of it for two years. He's like, it's funny, the people in front of, you know, the hosts and everybody, they always change, but the people behind it doesn't change. Maybe they should look into that as part of the problem. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, uh, one thing's for sure, daytime soap operas have nothing on the four-letter network at this stage of the game. So let's get to our baseball broadcasters breakdown. So we're going to go through the rosters of the various networks that cover the uh, uh, cover baseball. And we'll start first with Fox and FS1. Of course, they're, uh, we're going to talk about the main broadcast team, then we'll talk about individual play-by-play and analysts. Uh, so we'll start off talking about uh, Joe Buck and John Smoltz. I think my thoughts on Joe Buck have been well stated over the uh, previous uh, uh, broadcast. Now, I will say baseball is probably Buck's best sport by far. That was the sport he was raised in. Obviously, the son of the, the late great Jack Buck. Um, and then John Smoltz, you know, sometimes John uh, is a little bit too much of the angry man raising his fist to the sky about the, the olden rules and things like that. But overall, I like the presentation that John Smoltz uh, gives, very uh, uh, informative, also has a good sense of humor, things like that. Let's get your thoughts. Uh, Eric, we'll start with you on this one. Well, it's worth pointing out that Joe Buck and John Smoltz both recently, this year, just won the sports Emmy for best play-by-play and analyst. So uh, that is worth mentioning. So there, apparently people like their work from the last year. Um, not that that's the end-all be-all, but I like both of them. I think they're both really good together. I think they both are not as good when they're apart. I do think John Smoltz has added a lot to has allowed Joe to be kind of more relaxed and more freely. Uh, I like the fact they have conversations and they just talk. And that's one of the things I look for, especially in a baseball broadcast, I think baseball should be a conversational broadcast to some extent. Like, as far as what's going on in the game, what's going on in that position, why are they making that move, what do you think about this move? Uh, I think they do a really good job. I actually think Joe's right now on top of his game from that standpoint. And I think Smoltz is the best baseball analyst. We could get into what that if that's good or now. But I, I like Smoltz. I'm pro camp. Uh, I like those two way better than I did when Joe was paired with Harold Reynolds and Verducci. That didn't fit. And I wasn't a big Buck McCarver. The old McCarver was too much of a stickler on things. Smoltz, at least, tends to be a little more relaxed on that front. So I like both. Adam. Yeah, I'll start with uh, with Smoltz. I think you said something, Jeff. I would I would counter with is while Smoltz can Smoltz can definitely have a little of the old man get off my lawn stuff. When you compare that to a Tim McCarver, I mean it's like a it's a it's a breath of fresh air. And so for me, when he wasn't I mean, he's not Tim McCarver, I didn't have to hear all that stuff. It, to me, it was an upgrade uh, from that perspective. I wasn't a huge McCarver guy. Um, I think I, I agree with you, Jeff. I think Buck is ba- best suited in the baseball arena. Um, I do like his. He's got a, a good mixture of he, he can tell some stories. He's got some snark. He's knowledgeable. Um, you know, he's never. 
I don't think he's ever show you over the top. I don't think he's trying to do look at me catchphrase type of stuff, which a lot of baseball announcers can fall victim to with, you know, the old back, 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 Chris Berman type stuff. He doesn't fall victim to that. I think that's a professional smooth broadcast. And it's funny. I was watching, um, I was on an ESPN 30 for 30 binge the other day and I, I got, I caught up with four days in October, which is the, uh, the behind the scenes story of the Red Sox Yankees, uh, three Oh series where the Red Sox come back to win. And they, they share a lot of the clips from the live broadcast. And I, I think Buck was fantastic in that. I think about some of those memories and his voice for me is that voice of baseball. Um, you know, there's a, there's a home run hit and Buck just simply says, well, and we'll see you tomorrow night. And I think it's just a, a very clean, a very stated style. Um, I think it's, I think it's really well done. I think Smoltz is a good foil for him too. I think he, he allows him to not have to be as, as, you know, the juxtaposition of him and McCarver, I think was awkward at times. I like Harold Reynolds a lot to Jeff, uh, to, to Elo's point, but he's not a, you know, he's not a game analyst in my opinion. He's more of a studio guy. Um, so I think Smoltz is the perfect compliment for Buck. Yeah. So, uh, you go, you know, Fox and FS1, they do, uh, uh, mix and match, uh, throughout the, uh, throughout the regular season among the play by play men, they utilize Adam Amin, Joe Davis, Kevin Burkhardt, Aaron Goldsmith, Lynn Casper, Don Orsillo, to name a few, obviously we're all huge Adam Amin fans. Uh, you know, Kevin Burkhardt, he's, he's terrific at anything he does. Joe Davis, uh, while a little bit more understated, very solid and, and smooth. I haven't heard, uh, caught Aaron Goldsmith do a game. I've heard Lynn Casper uh, from time to time. And, you know, I know Don Orsillo does the Padres. So uh, uh, any thoughts uh, on, yep. on, the, on the roster that I just mentioned, their play-by-play stable? I think their play-by-play, I give them credit. They have upgraded on the play-by-play depth. If you look back at the years, this is the strongest lineup of play-by-play that I can recall a network doing baseball here in a while. As far as depth, not talking about quote necessarily like, you know, obviously when NBC had Vince Scully and Bob Costas as your one-two punch, that's that's as good as it gets. But, I, I mean, to me, Joe Davis is fantastic. I, I watch him a lot, listen to him a lot during the Dodger games with O'Hershizer. Here, I actually met Joe Davis in his last ESPN event. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> I met him in 2014. He was in Houston. He called the American Conference Softball Tournament. And I didn't really think of big. he was that big of a deal. I was actually disappointed at the time. Oh, I was hoping it was Adam Amin that was getting this event. Little did I know, this guy would turn into one of the best voices out there. He's done a great job with the Dodgers. And I think he's been groomed to be the heir apparent to Joe Buck, to be the voice of baseball. I mean, he's filled in for Joe, uh, what, game seven last year, that Braves-Dodgers NLCS. Um, I think he's their clear number two. Uh, and I mean, Adam Amin, I'm a huge fan, obviously. He's their number three in baseball. And I think once Joe decides to give up baseball, I think it's going to be Joe Davis and Adam Amin kind of doing the main play-by-play stuff for them on baseball. And then, I mean, Don Orsillo, to me, is on the rise. He's had this great career with the Red Sox. Very well known how they kind of abruptly kind of ended his time in Boston, which a lot of Boston fans were upset. He finds a home in San Diego, and he's kind of opened up his personality more. He's a lot looser. He's done a lot of postseason for TBS. Now he's doing Fox games. I think he's fantastic. I think those are your top four play-by-play guys I, I'm good with. I think it's a fantastic uh, depth chart there for Fox. Yeah, and one thing I forgot to mention about Joe Davis, I, you imagine that. He's the guy who took over for Vince Scully. <laughs> yeah, not he's the tough, biggest shoes to fill, and he's done a marvelous job. I would argue him and Hershiser might, might be among the best broadcasting from the local standpoint, which in baseball is critical, very critical. Adam? 
Yeah, I can't disagree with anything that Elo said. I think the in- interesting name you mentioned there was Kevin Burkhart. Um, to me, I think he's more of a studio guy. I, I think the the studio piece that they have with him, with, with Big Poppy, the weird A-Rod scenario where he works for every network and we're all okay with that, by the way, which I don't really care about, but what are you going to do? Um, I think he's got a really weird um, dynamic with those guys, which is great. Um, they throw in Pete Rose. I don't know if he's back this year or not. They throw Pete Rose in every now and again, which was a good foil. I think he does a nice job traffic copping amongst all those personalities. Kind of a, a I don't want to call him a poor man's Ernie Johnson, but there's a lot of personalities on that show. I think Kevin does a great job doing uh, doing that, that stuff. So I think he should stay in that role. I think he's best suited there. Um, Len Casper is a guy that, again, being a Florida guy, I heard him on Marlins telecast for a number of years and he went to the Cubs, which we, we get locally in Florida a bunch. So I heard a bunch of him from the Cubs perspective. Um, I always thought he was a solid broadcaster. Um, so I, I'm, I'm glad to see him kind of get some reps in the mix. I caught Aaron Goldsmith one time, but I didn't know I caught Aaron Goldsmith one time. Uh, and, and this is going to be a compliment actually, because halfway through I was like, who's calling this game? And I really had to stop and like figure it out. And so nothing about him stood out like, well, who am I listening to? Or what, who is this person? But again, nothing stood out where I was like, oh wow, this is the best broadcast I've ever heard. So I thought he was solid. I mean, I did a quick little bio on him. He does uh, radio for Seattle. One of the things you mentioned, Vin Scully, he, he's quoted as saying he tries to emulate Vin Scully, which uh, big shoes to fill. Um, but uh, I, I think it's, uh, to Elo's point, solid roster. I think Joe Davis is, uh, is definitely um, talented as well. It's tough to replace a legend like Vin Scully. And if you're thinking about replacing Joe Buck, who I guess we could argue if he's a legend. Some people could. I saw, I saw Jeff's face. Uh, some people could argue <laughs> whether or not, whether he's a legend. Um, but if you have to find someone to replace a legend he's got that experience so maybe he knows how to work that out yeah and you know as much as i i i buck is not my favorite i will definitely say he's a legend i mean you look what he's accomplished in broadcast so you can't argue that point uh some of the analysts of uh, fox uses eric harris aj pierzynski tom verducci actually verducci was on this last weekend i believe paired with joe davis and that was a very solid broadcast and you know verducci for a guy who's yeah. not an ex-player brings a lot of great knowledge uh to to the sport and uh, is uh, you know has a lot of a lot of great analysis and I, I was very impressed with that pairing. Uh, Eric, let's uh, get your thought on, on the analysts. So as strong as I think their play by play is, I think their analyst is weak. Uh, you know, Przinsky's kind of like doesn't do anything for me. I think he's whatever. He's okay. He's a comedy Eric act. Caros, yeah, he's more of a comedy act. Whatever. Some like it. Some don't. Eric Carroll's is just whatever. He's fine. There's nothing great there. It just stands out. I actually think ESPN's got better analysts from that standpoint. Uh, you mentioned Verducci. Verducci's unique because he comes from the writer's perspective, right? And I think that's a challenge. You don't see that often. You know, ESPN's doing that with Kirchin. So that's kind of. And I think ESPN got that idea. I don't mind Verducci. Uh, the only problem is I think where Verducci sometimes trying to stretches it out there a little bit, trying to kind of figure out, well, you know, what's going on with Garrett Cole? Should you take him out or not? Like in that game, you talked about Joe Davis, but I think he's fine. When they paired him with Harold Reynolds, that just didn't work for whatever. It just doesn't. Um, but I think their analyst work is kind of to me, they miss like Joe Girardi when he did some games, I thought he was good. Adam Wainwright, who's still playing, I think is a guy they're targeting. He did some of their postseason last year. I thought he was pretty good. But I think that's a weak spot. Uh, to me, that's their weak spot. I think their play-by-play is super strong, but I think their color uh, for a national, when you consider, think about this, think of all the national analysts that are out there they could have had, they could get, and they kind of have this instead, to me, is, is a, less to be, a lot to be desired. Adam? 
Yeah, I think Brzezinski is there for the hot take element there. They're hoping he says something outrageous, right? I think his personality has always been one that he's not afraid to get in scuffles. He's not afraid to say the outlandish thing. I think he's there, you know, for the hot mic element of it. Um, but in terms of substance, I mean, not not terrible. But again, to Eric's point, he doesn't do anything that really wows me. Eric Karros is just a little bit blah for my liking. You know, a smart, smart player, gets some smart analysis, but just, just not a lot of energy. It feels kind of low energy when he's on a call. Um, nothing against, you know, his, his knowledge. I think he's, he's pretty knowledgeable. I just, there's, there's not a lot of uptick when he's excited, when he's not excited. I actually do like Verducci. I actually wrote that down as well, the way that Derek framed that up. I think the only thing that, that knocks him, and I wrote down tactical, is when it's time to talk about, you know, the double switch and are we going to pinch run for this guy? And then that's where you get a little bit out of, out of Verducci's lane. But again, I, I grew up listening to Tom Verducci on, 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 on dugout reporting, you know, doing, doing stand-up hits on radio, things like that. So his voice to me is synonymous with baseball. So when I turn a game on and I hear Tom Verducci, it feels good to me. It makes sense to me that he's there. Uh, I think where, where you miss him is tactically. I think his better play is probably in that three-man booth, but to Eric's point, you need that right person that can give you just a good enough amount of tactical information but but not over overwhelm the conversation. Uh, that's a Harold Reynolds you know, flaw in my opinion. He wants to t- suck all the airspace out of the booth. Um, and I think that like, kind of boxes a guy like Verducci out because where does he get in? Um, and I think you need the right guy who's going to be willing to, to be uh, open to a non-player in the booth, right? And not sort of take all that airspace and, and, and sort of marginalize what somebody knows because they didn't play the game. But I agree with Eric. I think their, their, their analyst lineup is, is, is pretty weak uh, outside of uh, once you get past Smoltz. Um, again, I think Przinsky's is fine. He's just more for the hot take. And Karros is solid. I just quickly, someone tell me the, the best error Carroll's call, right? I mean, off top of your head, you don't know what it is. Uh, and that's not a knock. And maybe you, you need solid broadcasters. But the way their lineup is situated, is he their number two? I mean, the way that you look at what they have, is he behind Smoltz? I think he's three. I think Brzezinski's kind of their de facto two. Caro's, uh, I think, is more suited on the studio side, but they're you know they're so thin that they kind of need him in the in the booth. They looks like when they do those regional three four games on a single night. Uh, yeah. But you're right; it's not really you can't tell them apart. It's kind of like yeah. ironically, you could argue that they have the Fox has the same issue in the NFL with their mm-hmm. analysts, right? Like, Daryl, remember we talked, Daryl Johnston is their number two. Wow, like, now they're going to do Greg Olson. I don't know what it is, but I don't know if they just don't put the emphasis on the analysts like the other networks do. Or I don't know. It's just kind of unique. It you seems know. like Fox's pedigree is either go for the big name ex-athlete or go for sort of the, you know, quote unquote, run of the mill sort of, uh, you know, uh, announcer guy, right? They don't really have anything in between, right? They either want the big name who maybe will or won't pan out a lot like a Jay Cutler hire from a few years back that everyone scratched on their heads, um, which you didn't know if he could do. But then you have like a Charles Davis who's really good that, you know, you don't know his name as well, but he's a really good analyst. So I think Fox is kind of always in that, that yin and yang, right? They're either going to have the big name analyst that's going to get you to turn on and be like, man, this guy's terrible, or they're going to have somebody who you don't know that you're kind of like, eh, do I like this guy? I think that's, that's probably a good, uh, a good way to put it, Elo. All right, let's turn it over to ESPN now. And, of course, their main uh, broadcast crew for Sunday Night Baseball, Matt Vaskersian and Alex Rodriguez. Uh, I like Matt Vaskersian a lot. He's, you're talking about a, a man who survived the first rendition of the XFL to still go on and have a great uh, broadcasting career. And, obviously, you know, his work with MLB Network, um, he's done work with Fox and, uh, and is their main voice on Sunday Night Baseball. Um, you, you know, they tried the, the deal with him, uh, A-Rod and Jessica Mendoza, and that was just a complete disaster. Uh, and then, you know, 
A-Rod is not a guy that I particularly care for. Um, and I know in part of this problem is the way ESPN presents Sunday Night Baseball, you know, trying to pivot Alex Rodriguez as their, as their star of the show. And, you know, and I take it to a point uh, uh, a couple weeks ago uh, during the Braves game, you know, uh, Acuna's up hitting his 100th home run and, you know, and they got A-Rod, you know, on the side screen trying to show spin rate. And it's like, okay, come on, guys. Pay attention to what's happening on the field and not so much of, you know, there's, they always seem to be trying to prop Alex Rodriguez uh, as, their, as the wisdom and savior or whatever. <laughs> so uh, uh, you can tell that I don't care for him very much uh, in, in, as a player. <laughs> really? Well, yeah, we'll give it away. I don't know what gave it away there. Yeah, Adam, you, you notice know. he mentioned the Braves too there. You notice it all came back. <laughs> the break. There you go. It's all starting to come out. Go. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, guys, your thoughts. Adam, start with you on this. Yeah, I think for A Rod, I think uh, ESPN spends more time trying to tell you he's a good analyst rather than make him a good analyst, right? I think they're, they want to put him up front. They want him on camera shots. They want him, you know, to sort of be the face. And they spend more time telling you you should like A Rod than actually helping A Rod be likable um, in that respect. Um, I'm willing to put the, you know, the off the field stuff and the, all the other controversy stuff behind me. I don't really care about that when I'm listening to a game. I'm not going to be like, hey, well, this guy used steroids, so I don't want to hear from him. I'm fine with all that. I just don't know that he brings anything to the broadcast. And I think, you know, it, I think Matt Vaskurgeon probably deserves a bit of a, uh, a golden medal of sorts for kind of the heavy lifting of, you know, propping A-Rod up um, and, and helping to try to make him as good of a broadcaster, you know, dealing with the, the awkward booth that you mentioned before, Jeff. Um, I think he's a professional uh, broadcaster. I think he's funny. I think he's witty. Uh, I like that he's not afraid to kind of poke fun at situations and, you know, he addresses the elephant in the room at times when it's there. Uh, so I find him uh, really entertaining. A-Rod, again, it just feels like ESPN said, Who, what's the biggest name we have out there? Okay, let's go A-Rod. And the fact that they've worked out this unique deal from Fox, I think, I don't know that we talk about that enough. Like, how it's, it is not the least big. Jay Billis is the only other guy I can think of that was on prominent broadcasting roles with two networks when he did the college basketball um, for ESPN and then did March Madness for CBS. And that stopped when he got the new contract and became the number one announcer for ESPN. They took him off CBS. I, I, it's, it's, to me, it's very rare that you have a guy working on both networks and you would think that this would be kind of a role for like a Tony Romo type of announcer that's kind of transcended, kind of a, a breaking the mold type of person. That, that's just not A-Rod to me. Solid, you know, he could probably be a solid broadcaster if he wants to, but I, I just think the way that he's used um, is a disservice to what he, what he actually brings to the table. Eric? I think the problem with A-Rod, he's better in studio than he is in the booth. Like, he is best suited. And one of the reasons why that Fox pregame, which I think is the closest thing – they, you know, they kind of imitate inside the NBA and have kind of done the closest to being a decent job at it is because A-Rod is very good at short segments, talking something about five-minute segments, six segments. The problem is in a baseball game, you're talking three hours, you're talking. And I think A-Rod can't do that. He can't because he wants to say the right things because he wants to be liked. That's clear. Uh, and I think what happens is in three hours, you're not going to be able to do that with him. He's, that's not his expertise. They kind of made Mendoza the scapegoat for that. He's not a booth. Some people are just not good game analysts. They're better in studio where it's a more controlled environment. You know what you're going to say, and that's it. You're done. Like, he'll be great. When you see him on the Fox stuff, he's good. But on the, the booth, you know, 
he'll state the obvious stuff. Like, you know, when he, every time the Yankees are, oh, you know, I played here. It's a, it's, it's a pressure cooker. And that's what you got to thrive on it. Like, well, no, really, thanks, A-Rod. We didn't know that already. Like, I appreciate that. So, Madras Gerson, I like, but he has the weirdest luck. Look at his history of broadcasting. How many people could say he has worked as an has had an a, Alex Rodriguez as an analyst, Jesse the Body Ventura, and Jerry the King Lawler? That's the truth. That's the truth. He has worked with these people. He worked with Jesse the Body Ventura and Jerry Lawler in the XFL and got demoted for Jim Ross. Like he's but he's he somehow survived all that nonsense, and now he gets this prime job the Sunday Night Baseball because that's who A-Rod wanted to work with. That's been according to reports. A-Rod wanted to work with Vas Gersden. So on the one hand, he gets this Sunday Night gig, and I think he's good. But on the other hand, he's stuck because he's with A-Rod, who I don't think is very good as analyst. And as you know this, a lot of times that goes the play-by-play then as a result has to take some of the criticism as a result. Oh, you're not that great. But in reality, you're kind of, you're only, you, you can only work with what you have. Um, and I think too much and what they try to do there, to your point uh, there, Jeff, a lot of that stuff is scripted. You know, they have Buster Oni there. And a lot of times they just like to talk about what's like, – they try to treat it like it's baseball tonight during the game. And that does – and that's a theme that well, that's going to be – when we talk about all these ESPN broadcasts, that's their theme is we're doing baseball tonight while the game's going on. And I think that's where some people, I would assume, Jeff, like you, and I think you're not alone, uh, get, get turned off by that. Yeah, you, know, you could almost relate to uh, Matt Vasquez and Alex Rodriguez to like uh, Jim Nance and Phil Sims, where the, where the where the analyst drags you down. Sure, sure. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's go through some of the play-by-play roster for ESPN. Uh, among the names, Dave Fleming, Carl Ravitch, Jason Benetti, Tom Hart. Tom Hart, steady if not spectacular. Does a lot of SEC uh, uh, work uh, in on the college ranks. Jason Benetti, voice of the White Sox, he's, uh, he's really good. Uh, Carl Ravitch, probably more suited for baseball tonight than he is as a play-by-play guy, uh, but serviceable. Dave Fleming, voice of the Giants in San Francisco. Uh, I, I think he does a, a pretty outstanding job. Let's get your thoughts on on, uh, on that grouping. Eric? Well, let's not forget Dan Shulman, who still pops in and does a game or two. And really, it was his was choice. Their, yes. The, he, he, was, and he was their best. He was their guy. That was the yeah. Sunday night guy. I would argue he's their best play-by-play guy, but he chose to step away from that because of the heavy schedule. He does the Blue Jays instead, uh, and he does college basketball for them. But he'll pop in and do a holiday game, things like that. What's interesting about this lineup, this is the last year that ESPN's going to carry baseball on Monday nights and Wednesday nights, and this is it. Starting next year, they're just going to carry Sunday night baseball and maybe some holiday baseball, and that's it. So... We're, this is going to be the last year that we see some of these people doing baseball. You mentioned John Shambi, you didn't even met. He's no longer doing baseball for them because he's now doing the Cubs on their new network. Ravage, obviously, they've pushed as their face of baseball. He does play-by-play for college baseball at the World Series. He does college basketball. Clearly, that was something they have added to his contract, and he always wants to do it. I think he's okay, but again, he's a better host. And again, a lot of his style is still, hey, toss it to you as far as the hosting. Now, I like what they've kind of done with him and Tim Kirchin and Eduardo Perez. Uh, Eduardo's kind of a loosey-goosey analyst who has a good humor, but then will let Tim Kirchin do his piece. It's kind of the opposite of Reynolds and Verducci. So they kind of make it work. But again, when I watch that, I feel like I'm watching baseball tonight while the game's going on. 
So, but I like Kirchin, so I'm okay with that because I like to hear what Kirchin has to say. Um, you mentioned the other ones there. They got I think Benetti's fantastic, very underrated. Does a great job with the White Sox. He's made the White Sox actually listenable after so many years of not being listenable with Hawk <laughs> Carrollson and his nonsense. Uh, I think Benetti is fantastic. He can he's the one guy out of those guys you mentioned. You can pair him up with anybody and he'll be fine. Like if you paired him with A Rod, he could probably get a good game out of A Rod. Like, you know, and there's certain guys that have done that. And I think he's one of those. He does it with Mendoza. He does it with everybody. I think he's very underrated. That's why I actually watch him when they do the StatCast broadcast, just because I think he's very funny. He's very good at that. Uh, so I enjoy him. Tom Hart, you know, that's an interesting trend, moving him, and they're using Kyle Peterson, the college baseball guys, quote-unquote, more into coverage for Major League Baseball, which I found interesting, that maneuver. I think Hart's great. I, I mean, there you go. Get, get it ready. I have known Tom Hart. Over a decade, back when he was on CBS Sports Network or whatever it was called back then, and he would do a lot of those Conference USA games and would do some UCF games. So I've known Tom, so I think he's great. And he used to be part of your Braves broadcast, was he not? At one point he was, yes. Yeah, so I think he's great. And I, I like Kyle Peterson. I am fascinated that they've kind of slowly moved him into the Major League Baseball side here to chip in a little bit there uh, in, in their coverage. So it's an interesting group. Not the strongest play-by-play. I think Fox is way better, but I do like some of their analysts they have overall. Uh, But the problem is they like to sometimes just go the baseball tonight route, which I think is why a lot of people will just tune out and watch the local broadcast instead. Adam? Yeah, I wonder how much of that, Eric, has to do with the pandemic stuff, right? We saw they, they were big on the Korean Baseball League, and that's really what the Korean Baseball League became, was a four-hour yeah. radio show with a baseball sure. game spliced in between. And I wonder if there's something within that that they said, hey, this is the way to do that. And let's not forget, obviously, a lot of this stuff in 2020 happened uh, from a remote perspective. And, you know, I've, while I think every sport is a challenge to, to call remotely, with so much kind of downtime in baseball, you have to find a rapport, you have to have conversations, you have to be able to really have a good relationship with your partner a lot of these guys working remotely maybe for the first time with with each other how did that play together but I wonder if that's some of that element of the baseball tonight ish slash sports talk radio with a baseball game going on the background element comes into play because you're right that's kind of Ravage's style which is why in my notes I wrote down Ravage should just not be in the booth (laughs) really good but he he, to me his voice I need him I need when I hear his voice I'm looking for the uh, baseball tonight desk I'm looking for you know the the bases on the ground of the studio there that's what I'm looking for when I hear Carl's voice even last night in the home run derby or the we're recording this after the home run derby but on monday night's home run derby even his call there uh, you know it was it was okay you don't really need a great play-by-play guy for the home run derby but i think there were probably better options maybe they could have gone with maybe vast would have been better in that spot where he's got a little more personality and could have kept uh, conversations moving but i, I think ravage better a better uh, placed in the uh, in the studio there um for me I, I think um i think it's a solid lineup i haven't heard tom hart all that much i know uh, i heard him do a lot of football this year i think he did the one game with golick um I, I don't know if i can name drop golick i had him on the podcast once thank you uh, i gotta keep up with eric i'm, I'm down like six one seriously right um <laughs> golick's been in the news recently too he has he has um but no i think he uh, he did a good job on the on the football stuff too i think he's a solid um a solid guy i remember actually him i wrote down the other note that he actually did some stuff with the braves for a while as kind of like their pre pre-game guy which i thought was 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 good um fleming and benetti i think they're solid guys uh, i mean you don't get a, you're not going to get a bad broadcast when either of those two are on the mic uh, to your point eric probably not as depth uh, as deep as, as fox is but i part of me just wonders too is and, and maybe it's a 
larger point we can have later on in the, in the conversation. But with baseball becoming so regionalized, you, you're so in tune to your guy, right? Your announcer who's for your team in your city. And you don't have the, the guys who are growing up. You know, Eric made the, the Hawk Harrelson put on the board reference, right? But, you know, for, for folks who grew up listening to the White Sox, that was their person. And so I, I think it's it's really hard, I think, to, to get a national audience to really fall in love with a regional uh, baseball voice. And that's a, that's probably a challenge for these guys because they're, they're so ingrained in their cities, their communities, their teams. They know so much. And when you put them in sort of this national booth with, with guys they don't work with, you got to wonder how that plays with chemistry. But it's, it's interesting to see sort of the, uh, the the way it's working out. But part of me wonders just, you know, can a, can a national approach really be had with baseball? Or do we need to go with more regional-based teams? Do we take, you know, a teams of announcers from the Braves and have them do the Fox game, right? Is that a better play long-term? Well, they've done that. I don't know. They've done, Fox has done that for some of their FS1 broadcasts yeah, where sure. they carry the home team broadcast. I think that's why ESPN is dropping and lowering their num- the number of games they're doing because I think they realize that, that I think the audience in baseball today, people focus where people is interested. If you look at the local numbers, they're still big. Like even Tampa Bay, there are people who think the Rays have no fans. They are the number one TV program, nightly, prime time in that market. People watch the region. I think ESPN's realized it's like, why are we going to produce a Monday night and a Wednesday night baseball game that's not exclusive when we know that the majority of that audience is probably going to tune into the local broadcast, the local stuff. And I have MLB TV. It is incredible. It's like a national quality. Okay. Uh, And I think notice, and I think I feel bad for the radio guys because I think this generation now looks at the TV regional guys as the voices of the team, not the radio guys. Like when people think of the Dodgers, they're not thinking Charlie Steiner, the radio guy. They're thinking Joe Davis and Orr Hershiser. When you think of the Yankees, you know, they're, they're, He's kind of the last one over there, but I think more people relate with Michael Kay as the voice of the Yankees. So if you're a Yankee fan, why are you going to watch a Wednesday night game on ESPN with Dave Fleming or whatever when you can watch Michael Kay in the Yes Network where you're used to? If you're a Braves fan, clearly, Jeff, uh, would rather listen to Chip Carey. And Chip Carey, for some reason, think that Jimmy Hendricks is the only pitcher with an X in his last name, which I still don't understand how that happened, by the way. You need to explain that, Jeff, how your boy messed it up. But anyway, okay. But nonetheless, I mean, that's – what people are used to. And I think that's why ESPN's dropped out. Like Dave Fleming is fantastic. If you, the Giants are any rate, they're like the dynasty of broadcasters, by the way. If you look at their broadcast team locally, they have Dave Fleming, John Miller, uh, Kuiper, Dwayne Kuiper. Uh, it's like the rich is rich there uh, from a broadcast standpoint there. It's insane, especially out of the West Coast. I think Fleming's great. But to your point, I think that's why I think it's tough to kind of get hooked on that because people on a nightly basis are watching their team play and they're watching their broadcasters. And that's something that, quite frankly, we didn't have in the 80s or 90s. So it is, I think, to me, we as media have to kind of adapt and stop with the narrative. Well, nobody watches baseball anymore. No, they do, but they watch it in different forms. Like, I think local numbers should be included anytime a national TV uh, rating comes out. Because if a, if a Braves game is on ESPN, well, how can you discount the peep, the Braves fans that are actually watching the game, but they're watching it on another channel? Like that, you know, cable news has been able to figure that out where they can add up all these numbers by airing the same thing in five networks when the president's speech. Yet sports, for whatever reason, has not been able to figure that out to add up all these numbers, which is just kind of mind-boggling to me. But I, I think they're all good. I, I have to, as the softball guy, by the way, I do have to say a word about Jessica Mendoza. I feel like I'm obligated awesome person i've interviewed her on the podcast twice thank you um 
I think she got a bad rap when she was with A-Rod. I don't think she's a number one baseball person, but I think she's good. And again, when she's been with Benetti, when she's with Shambi, she's good. And I think she's very good in the studio side and kind of breaking down the swings. I think she's fine. I think she just got put into a spotlight maybe quicker than, you know, in a tough spot to succeed. Okay, of course, uh, Jessica Mendoza, one of the uh, analysts that we'll talk about here, along with Eduardo Perez, Doug Glanville, Kyle Peterson, Rick Cyclis, and of course, uh, you did mention uh, Tim Kirchin is kind of the, the, the third sidecar kind of guy. Um, but, uh, you know, Cyclist been around forever. Best days probably uh, have passed him by on that. But at one point, was uh, was really their top top analyst uh, for quite a while and, and did a very good job. You mentioned Peterson coming over from the college ranks. Doug Glanville, you know, he's okay. I, 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 I don't like or, or dislike his presentation. Um, Eduardo Perez, I think he's pretty decent. But again, with the, with the Ravage pairing uh, most of the time, that uh, it is the baseball tonight feel. And I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm glad you brought up uh, Justin Mendoza because I had wanted to hear your thoughts on that because, um, you know, how do you think she does as, the, as one of the lead analysts on softball, the sport that you uh, adore and cover so well? Uh, well, the funny thing is she's kind of stepped away from that. She only jumps in during the postseason. And I actually think that's hurt her a little bit because she doesn't stay as – obviously, she's her obligation now is baseball. Uh, so I think that's actually hurt her a little bit on the softball side because she's not following on a daily basis. But that's where she got her name was as a softball analyst with Michelle Smith. She was part of a three-person booth. Um, which in softball, oddly enough, it works because usually what they do in softball, they have Michelle Smith is the former pitcher, Mendoza is the former hitter, and so they clicked. Uh, that's kind of how they make it work. But I think she's good. But then obviously she's focused on baseball. People forget she's done sideline too. In fact, she's going to be a reporter for the NBC Olympics coming up. Uh, so she kind of wants to do a lot of different stuff. You know, she's done sideline. I, I She did a UCF football game when she was a sideline reporter. Uh, had to deal with George O'Leary. So she earned her stripes right there. Um, but I think she's good. I think the problem was, remember, she got to Sunday Night Baseball because of the Kurt Schilling controversy and got plugged in there. And to Aaron Boone's credit, who I thought was very good as an analyst and, quite frankly, is better than a manager. Um they kind of blended well. Boone kind of gave her her space and vice versa. I thought her and Shulman made him work. That was a good group, I thought. But then, obviously, they got changed, and she got paired with A-Rod, and it just wasn't going to work. But I think she's good. I think she's solid. Uh, she's doing radio, I believe, for the World Series for them. So I think she's good. She'll be good at their – but you got to get the right person where she's comfortable with. I think she was good with Shambi. She was good. She's good with Benetti. Fleming is one that's been paired her up with as well. Uh, so you've seen a lot of that. But I think she's fine. And what about the other uh, other members of the ESPN analyst group? Any Anybody else stand out to you, Eric? Yeah, I think Kirchin, we've talked about. Eduardo, I, I think Eduardo is fine. Uh, again, but he's because he's the perfect guy to have in a three man booth because he's not one that's going to dominate the airspace. So, if you want to go three man, Eduardo would be a guy I would like to have as part of that three man booth. Now, Sutcliffe, I've always liked Sutcliffe. I feel like he's more of the Cubs guy now, though. I don't even know the last time I saw him do an ESPN game. I feel like he's just like their main analyst on him and Shambi just decided to take a tour to Chicago and get that new network going. Um, Kyle Peterson, I like as an analyst. It just seems weird that he's doing Major League Baseball. When I think of him, I think of him as college baseball. So I find that a little weird, but that's just my own annoyance. Um, but again, nobody that stands out there. And 
I will be curious to see next year, do they keep A-Rod in that slot with Vasgersden, or do they decide to put Ravage in that spot? You know, or I think, you know, I know uh, Adam's not a, a Ravage fan as far as play-by-play. The problem is ESPN doesn't air a lot of baseball tonight anymore, and he ain't going back to doing Sports Center that much. So you got to give him something to do, and they've decided he's their face of baseball, so he's got to do some play-by-play. Adam, your thoughts? Yeah, that makes sense on Ravage. I think from an announcer standpoint, I really like Eduardo Perez. I think uh, I think he's funny. I think he's knowledgeable. I, I think if I'm looking at the list off the top of my head quickly, um, he's the only one with coaching experience. He was a hitting coach for a while with the Marlins too. So I think he brings a little bit of that that tactile expertise, which I think is awesome. Um, I actually really like Doug Glanville, and 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 I don't know that I like him in the in the booth setting, but I've heard him interviewed on podcasts before. I've heard him interviewed on radio hits, and I think he's really knowledgeable. He's really sharp. Baseball tonight. Yeah, that's baseball where he, tonight. That's where he fits. Yeah, he just doesn't feel like he fits in a booth. He, he's kind of got a little bit of that same uh, Eric Karros mentality where he's never too excited. He's just very monotone throughout. But if you listen to him break down a game, I think he's very smart. I think he's very intelligent. I think he's got a lot of good ideas. Um, so I actually like him. I just don't think the booth is, is his spot. But I think ESPN could find better ways to, to leverage and utilize him. Kyle Peterson, I agree. I just have a hard time not not picturing Omaha uh, when I see Kyle Peterson. So I, just a picture of cornfield is going to be behind him at all times, and it's not. I'm like, what happened there? Uh, Rick Sutcliffe, I mean, I mean, you know, I feel like when Chris Berman left ESPN, Rick Sutcliffe uh, disappeared from the baseball uh, lineup. It seemed like it was always Berman and uh, and Sutcliffe on a 4 p.m. East Coast Giants game on opening day, right? That was kind of the, uh, the standard. Wow. And, uh, and so when, I think when, when Boomer uh, stepped away from the booth, I think uh, I feel like that's the last time I saw Sutcliffe. I'm sure he's around someplace. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen him all that much. But I agree. I think their lineup's probably a tick better than, than Fox's just from an analyst perspective. But I mean, we're, we're talking about like the, a, a small fractional margin because um, I do think Eric's larger point that he made earlier about, you know, the, the hometown um, folks being sort of the, the maybe the better lens through this stuff. I know we'll talk about Major League Baseball Network in a second, but I think they have some of this figured out when they have kind of those live look ins and you get to hear some of those. I think those can be infinitely more entertaining than some of the some of the guys we hear we have here. And a perfect segue, we will talk about the MLB Network. Now, obviously, most of the games they carry are local broadcasts, but they do a showcase game once a week. And the usual pairing for that is Bob Costas and Jim Cott. Um, I think uh, Vaskersian pops in on there on occasion when they need to uh, need to fill in on that occasion. But, uh, you, know, you know, Jim Cott, and I, and I really like him a lot. You know, I thought he was old when he did the Braves games back in the early nineties. You know, he's going to be pushing a hundred, right? <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but for a guy who's, you know, an, an old school baseball player, I think he's done a nice job of keeping up with the times more or less. And then of course, Bob Casas, I mean, how many words uh, can you say and not come up with great? I mean, you know, he's, he's and baseball certainly is his wheelhouse. That was his, his passion. And, uh, and it's good that we still get to hear Bob Costas do uh, baseball games uh, 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 during the Major League Baseball season. We'd like to hear him some in the playoffs again. That would be a, kind of a nice treat. Uh, I think Turner should pull him in for some of that action. But, uh, but Bob and, and Jim are pretty much the, the pairing there. And uh, Eric, we'll turn it over to you on your thoughts. Well, the pandemic has kind of kind of been the reason we haven't seen as much of Bob and if because of the pandemic because a lot of this has been remote and stuff so I've actually seen a lot more Vasquez on the MLB network you know Adam mentioned a his unique deal with Fox 
and uh, and ESPN. Well, Fast Gersden has this unique deal because he does a lot of stuff on MLB Network. He hosts the show there. He does studio. He does play-by-play for them in the postseason as well when need be. He does the ESPN stuff, and he's now the voice of the Angels as well. So I found that interesting. I'm a huge Costas fan. Uh, and Cot, I think they're fantastic. Hopefully, we see them back here in the second half of the year. Is now they're starting to let networks, you know, guys travel more again. Uh, but Bob's also pretty busy. He's kind of a correspondent at CNN now. He's going to bring back his old show on HBO this summer. So he's he's kind of moving on. I think he's moving to that next chapter of you know, kind of being a correspondent and hosting and not maybe not do as much traveling. So I, I don't know how many more. You know, how many more times we're going to hear him call games? I have a bold prediction. I think he will be the next radio voice of the Yankees. I think that's where you're going to hear him. I mean, my goodness, John Sterling can't go forever. Um, so I think whenever Sterling steps down, I think they go after Costas, and I think Costas does the radio. That's my bold prediction. I have no insight on that. That's just my thought. I think Cott's still great. It's funny. I remember Cott from the CBS days, right? Like he did mm-hmm. the national CBS game. I thought he's, and he's still good. He's still very good. I think he's does some twins games on the side. He must, but he must. Yeah. Twins rotate. So how do you stay sharp? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So I think he's good uh, from that standpoint, from their broadcast. Uh, Smoltz is also used on MLB network as well. In fact, a lot of times what they do, they'll pick up the game that Fox doesn't pick up in the playoffs, but Smoltz will do both games anyway, because he works for both Fox and MLB network. So, uh, I like what MLB network does. I think they, of all those, the league channels, NBA TV, NFL network, NHL network, I think MLB network's the best of the four. I would agree. No, no doubt. Adam. And because I'm used to a podcast partner asking me questions during a show, I don't have the answers to it. Jim Cott is 82 years old. Uh, so I looked that up for 82 years old for Jim Cott. Um, yeah, I, listen, I think Costas is obviously the gold standard from a play-by-play guy. Sometimes I just wonder, though, he, I feel like I want him to have more airspace in the game because I, I think he's going to have commentary. He's going to have stories he wants to tell. And sometimes I, as a listener, want to hear more from him, but the game just doesn't allow that. So I, I do enjoy that to hear, you know, he's going to get back into some other, uh, other ventures and hopefully some of those are, are sports related because uh, I do think that's where he does a really good job of, of setting a scene and telling some stories and adding the context. And sometimes, you know, a play-by-play booth just doesn't give you all that, uh, all that time. I actually think Cott's entertaining. I actually find him funny. Um, you know, you could definitely do the old, you know, is, you know, game passed him by, get off my lawn, back in my day type stuff. But I don't think he falls victim to a lot of that. Sure, I think it creeps in every now and again, but I, I think he's pretty solid overall. Um, but I agree with you just on the larger point. I think the MLB Network, is the gold standard for sports owned networks, if you will, um, because I think they do a good job of unique segments. I think they do a good job of finding good voices. And I think they also do a good job of recognizing kind of who they are uh, and they leverage some of the local uh, local games, local broadcasts, probably more so than other uh, other networks do. So um, no no complaints. I, I, we just don't hear this, this group enough, unfortunately, to Tarek's point. I think the pandemic has certainly impacted uh, this pairing more than maybe any other network. All right, let's turn to Turner and uh, their uh, main broadcast uh, play-by-play crew. Brian Anderson, Ron Darling, sometimes they'll go three-man with uh, Dennis Eckersley uh, in the mix on that. Um, we've talked about Brian Anderson quite a bit uh, uh, during uh, uh, college basketball uh, and NBA uh, uh, segments of this show. Uh, so I think we're all very squarely in his camp as a, as a, as a terrific play-by-play guy. 
Ron Darling, uh, I like him. I, I know he he's kind of a one of those things you either either like or dislike. I think he's kind of kind of a little polarizing in that respect. Um, he's he's great when he does uh, hits on Tony Kornheiser's podcast, um, and but he you know he has definitely uh, definitely strong opinions, and uh, but he also has a good sense of humor and things like that. And uh, Eckersley, you know, I'm. I'm <sighs> You know, I don't think he brings a lot to the table uh, other than the name value um, when, whenever he's part of the, uh, the three-man uh, where that goes. But uh, let's get your thoughts, Adam, on that, on that crew. Yeah, B.A. solid. I think Brian Anderson does a great job with whatever he does. I think, you know, it's interesting to kind of figure out what his career arc will be. He's probably best suited in baseball, but where will he get that opportunity? Uh, we already mentioned the the talent at Fox, so it seems like they, they've got folks kind of in line there. Uh, so where will he get that opportunity if he stays baseball? Because I think he's really good at that. Uh, that may be a, a story to watch. Ron Darling, so this is a, a shame a shameful admission on my part. So I grew up in South Florida, uh, and this was pre-Marlins days. You didn't, you, we didn't have a baseball team locally in South Florida. So WWOR was the channel that we got all the time. It was the Mets. It was Tim, uh, Tim McCarver and Ralph Kiner were the broadcast duo. And for, I have no idea why I had to be six or seven, eight years old. Ron Darling was my favorite player. I have no idea why that I had a number 12 Darling jersey. I don't know why. I I don't know if it was his name. I don't know what it was. He was my favorite player back then in in the Mets days. And so I've always been a fan of Ron Darling's. And I don't know if that clouds my judgment when I think about his broadcast ability, (laughs) because I agree. I think it's pretty good. I mean, I have nothing, nothing against him. I don't have that jersey anymore, um, but uh, but I was a Ron Darling fan back then, so I, I think he's I think he's solid. I don't know if you want to talk about the other play by play guys now, Jeff. Or you want to hold those, but we can go ahead. Ernie Johnson, God love him. Uh, I mean. A gold standard studio host. The Mount Rushmore is Ernie Johnson with four different expressions on it, right? Because that's how good he is. He just does not need to be in the booth. I understand the legacy. I know that's something that he probably feels very passionately about, but but he is the gold standard of studio host. I understand you want to try something new, and I and I he's earned the right to do that. But I think you trot him out and you hide him on like a Sunday afternoon game. The playoffs a couple of years back were just not a not a shining moment for Ernie. Uh, let's just keep protect Ernie at all costs. Keep him in the studio. I think that that's where he's best suited. And uh, you mentioned Don Arcillo earlier. Solid. Uh, nothing against Don. I think he's done a nice job. He, his voice always reminds me of Sean McDonough. I always get confused which one of them it is initially. Uh, so I always have to be like, wait, is this, which guy is this? And I realize it's Arcillo. Uh, but it, it, other than, either way, both of those guys are solid broadcasters, so I have no issue with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yes, by the way, I, I had that same problem when uh, Orsillo was doing the Red Sox game. So, like, was this McDonough or Orsillo? Uh, <laughs> by the way, Matt's documentary in 30 for 30, Ron Darling will be in it. Yeah, <laughs> I saw it. He's looking there. I, I remember those days. They had the Yankees on with Phil Rizzuto and Bill White. And so I was a Mattingly fan because that, which is ironic since he's now the manager of the Mammar, so that fits well. And then I do recall those Mets fan, uh, games as well. So that was kind of a unique time. I actually am a big Darling fan as well. I think he's the number two best analyst nationally behind Smoltz. I think he's really good. And I actually don't think – I hate it when they go a three-man on TBS because I don't think they need it. Uh, I didn't like Jeff Francoeur when they threw him in there. Uh, I'm not an Eckersley guy either. I think Eckersley is better in the studio uh, for them. I know he does Red Sox games on the side. Uh, but I think Darling's good. I like Brian Anderson a lot. My only thing is, and this is where, again, having MLB TV maybe kind of messes me up and maybe messes some people up. When I look at Brian Anderson doing baseball, I always keep thinking, wait, this ain't the Brewers. (laughs) Like, when he's doing an American League game, I feel like it's odd for some reason. And that's just my own annoyance there. Um, I think he's great, though. I think he will be the voice of Turner baseball. 
he's does their golf celebrity stuff and we'll see what happens with him in the NBA, what role he'll have there moving forward. But I think he's a big part of Turner's plans. Uh, but I think he's fantastic. Uh, Orsillo is really good. I think he's been fantastic since he left Boston. So, cause now I don't confuse him with Sean McDonough anymore. He's just his own guy. Uh, and I think he's fantastic. He lets his personality out. And I think that's why Fox and TBS use him. I think he's one of their top, I think he's a top 10 play by play baseball guy right now in the, in the sport right now. He's that good. Um, so I, I think that they actually have a good mixture there. It's just weird for me to go to TBS and constantly remind myself, oh, that's right, they have baseball. I got to go there. Uh, that's their issue they have. But I like Anderson. I like Darling. Just leave it as a two-man booth and move forward. Yeah, and interesting, too, uh, you know, they bring Joe Simpson in for the playoffs uh, quite a bit as well. And, and actually in 2020, um, because of some of the travel stuff going on, they paired uh, you know Joe Simpson and Ron Darling on some games together. So it was like a two and a half man booth. Uh, Simpson did the play by play, but they both were doing analyst stuff, and it was actually a pretty entertaining broadcast uh, from that perspective. Uh, so uh, we also decided we would uh, talk about uh, the three closest uh, MLB teams to our region. We'll first start with the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Broadcast uh, tandem of Dwayne Stats and Brian Anderson. Dwayne Stats has been around a long time. Uh, once did uh, the the Cubs he used to do the uh, the middle innings when when Harry Carey would go over to radio uh, uh, during the during uh, the WGM broadcast. Uh, so a lot of people know Dwayne Stats from the old WGN days. Um, Brian Anderson, former player, uh, you know, I'm kind of lukewarm on him. He's okay. I mean. It, so this broadcast to me rates as a, as a you know in that uh, uh, steady if, but not spectacular uh, category. Adam, what are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are that Harry Carey impression. I think we need to have that come back at some point because uh, I didn't I didn't see that coming, Jeff. But hey, um, how you doing? <laughs> wow. Uh, do we have a bell for impressions? Because we made it to get one, Elo. Um, so I, I think Dwayne Stash just has one of those voices that is just synonymous with baseball. Uh, and so uh, it, it's interesting. It, it can be a little, it, it took you, it took me some time to, to hear in his voice and kind of get accustomed to it. But now when I hear it, I, again, I think, I think Ray's uh, baseball's on. Um, and I think, I think that's what you want in an announcer, right? I think you want to draw that, that, you know, that synergy. When you, when you hear that voice, you think about that team, Elo referenced Brilliant. it with, with Brian Anderson. Anderson, right, and I think I think the Rays have that mixture with uh, with Dwayne Stats, uh, Brian Anderson. I, I could tell you, not the same Brian Anderson, by the way. For those who don't know, it's the TBS Brian Anderson. I could take him or leave him as well. Um, I, I think you know he's not he's not someone who I have to hear, but you know I don't I don't cringe when he's on. It's it's not one of those moments. But I think I think Dwayne Stats is kind of the the, the lead guy. Uh, no pun intended. I think his voice is synonymous with Rays baseball, and I think that's kind of what you want to see when you think about a local broadcast tandem. Yeah, and Todd Callis was on that uh, crew for a long time as their uh, sideline reporter. Yeah. He now is the uh, voice of the Astros. Eric, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with what you both are saying there. You know, remember, I remember Joe McGrain was the longtime analyst with Dwayne there. Yeah, he and then was they awesome. had, He was good. Uh, so I, I, you know, I, I, but then they had that weird year or two where they put Kevin Kennedy in there, which was kind of odd uh, from that standpoint. But you're right. I think, uh, you know, Brian's fine. He's not Joe McGrain, but he's fine. And he's, I think he helps carry Dwayne there on certain nights when Dwayne just doesn't have it. This isn't, you know, it's like, man, I can't believe I'm here in Seattle and it's eight to two in the sixth inning. What the heck am I going to do here? And I think Brian kind of gets him through it. So I think they're fine. Uh, I'm a fan of Rich Hollenberg. I, I think he's great at the studio host. Uh, Todd Callis, obviously, a lot of people thought he would be the heir apparent to Dwayne. 
but Dwayne never left. So he's doing his thing with the Astros. And then they got a history of nice sideline reporters that move on to big things there. They got obviously Trisha Whitaker is currently the one they have right now. But I remember when Laura, she's now known as Laura Rutledge. She used to be Laura McKeenan was the sideline for the Rays way back in the day. So they've had a history of Rays there. Kelly Nash was part of their coverage at one point. So it's interesting that they've had people from that broadcast that move on to big things there uh, nationally. Uh, so it's been very interesting broadcast from that standpoint. All right. Now we'll talk about the Miami Marlins. And I still, out of habit, still want to call them the Florida Marlins. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, back a few months ago when we did our, uh, our uh, college basketball breakdown, I made the remark that Rich Waltz should have never have been let go by the Marlins. And uh, that pairing with him and Tommy Hutton, I thought was a terrific uh, broadcast. And I will actually tell you, can I now I get to ring the bell. I met Tommy Hutton in Atlanta. Uh, I had gone up there for a, a Braves weekend series. I ended up at the Hotel of the Marlins, so down at the bar, having a drink. Mr. Hutton is leaving, so I, I stopped him and, uh, and uh, said, hey, enjoy the, the job you guys do. And, and you know, I live in Orlando and whatnot. And, and he has a big smile on his face and says, well, why you got all that Braves crap on? <laughs> <laughs> and uh of course <laughs> that I sounds just, like tommy there that yeah, sounds about right yeah but he was very very cordial very nice and uh uh you know and i had to explain you know i go back a long long before baseball was in florida uh, with the braves and you know i keep my allegiance the current broadcast team of paul severino todd hollinsworth and i'm gonna just say it right here it's an insufferable broadcast uh it, it is just not good uh, uh paul you know i understand homerism is part of uh, part of the deal with these with these broadcasts but paul severino takes it to way extremes you know he's calling you know uh, uh a two out single in the second inning like uh, you know it's a you know game six of the world series and uh and 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 all hollandsworth does is cheerlead right behind him and uh, it's just a terrible broadcast to listen to. In fact, I'll give you an example. Uh, uh, a couple weeks ago when, uh, when they were playing the Braves, and usually I will uh, bring in the audio, audio from uh, my MLB app and listen to the Braves radio when I'm stuck with the Marlins broadcast. But uh, for some reason, I, ha- I hadn't done it at that point. And uh, when they punked Acuna, uh, you know, Severino goes, oh, my gosh, they, they've now made it to where the Marlins could never pitch him inside for the next 15 years. It's like, all right, easy now. Settle down. <laughs> this is a this is a problem the Marlins created. So, regardless of that, yeah, it's just a it's just a broadcast that I I, I have to just give two big thumbs down, especially when you compare them to the broadcast crew they had before. Eric. Well, go even further back of the history. Remember, they had Dave O'Brien, Joe Angel do radio and sometimes TV as well. At one point, they had John Shambi as play-by-play, radio and TV. Len Casper, radio and TV. A lot of them work with uh, Hutton, Tommy. And, you know, I think there's the theory behind that. I don't think that's by accident. I think one of the reasons why this new regime, I don't know if they're new anymore, but when they got rid of Waltz and Hutton, I think that's what they were shooting for. They, they felt they were too negative, <laughs> which, you know, it's whatever. Uh, and I, you know, I, I'm not a fan of this crew, play-by-play. Uh, play. I think, I mean, I like Craig Mitterveen. He's been there 100 years, ex-husband of uh, Martha Zagowski for the all you news anchor fans of Zagowski <laughs> there. Uh, Syracuse alum, Jessica Blaylock, who I'm friends with from back in the day when she did Sankey. Sideline of the Magic. Uh, 
I like all of that. I'm glad they brought back Tommy at least to do part of their studio. I think that's been huge. Like there was that – remember the game? I'm, I don't know if you saw it, Jeff, where the Marlins blow the lead in the ninth against the Braves. Oh, yeah. And he's like, you know, I had all the, written down all these great things I was going to say about the Marlins, and then he just kind of ripped up the paper. That was hilarious. <laughs> that was perfect. Cool. It was perfect. Uh, I get it. And so they had this great history, and now we have this. And Severino came from MLB Network, uh, so he knows his baseball. I just – I agree with you. I don't like it. It feels forced. Um, like, stop trying to insult me. I'm a Marlins fan. I know what's good baseball, and I know what sucks. Don't tell me. Don't try to paint the picture, all right? I know what I'm – all right? And, uh, I, yeah, I mean, it's funny because, you know, they miss Rich. There's rumors that Rich Waltz might pop up as part of the Angels broadcast here in the second half. He's done some national stuff. Uh, so I agree with you. I It's hard for me to listen to Marlins. I actually li- end up listening a lot of times to Glenn Geffner on the radio uh, more so. I like Glenn. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't disagree with you. As a Marlins fan, um, it's disappointing. That's all I could really say there. All right, Adams, your turn now. You, you, have a, you have to have somebody you're friends with or know from the Marlins broadcast. I met David Sampson one time. He's really short, <laughs> by the way. Really short. Actually, he was a nice guy. He doesn't come across nice on, on any other platform ever. But uh, he, was, uh, he was actually very nice the, the time I met him. Um, <laughs> was, wait, he was just nice to you, but not nobody else there. Uh, yeah, I can't confirm the other folks I was with. He was just nice to me when I met him. Um, my only comment about this group is I wrote down this question. Why are they always yelling? I feel like they're always yelling at me. I don't need them to yell. You can talk very calmly. I have a hard time distinguishing their voices sometimes too. So my, my story is a little bit even uniquer because I left town. So I left Florida in 2016 to, to move to California. And the last I'd heard obviously was, was, you know, when Marlon's broadcast was, was, was Tommy and Rich. And I come back in 2020 and I'm like, what happened around here? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, and I think, I think Alo, you hit it on the head conspiracy theory wise. I think the new regime, the, the Derek Jeter led regime just wanted new voices. They wanted to kind of put their own stamp. It seemed like if you listen to David Sampson, which I actually enjoy some of his work on, on the Levitard and his own podcast, he's, he's very upfront about things that go on inside of uh, front offices. He's very upfront about what's happened with, uh, with the Marlins. It sounds like they wanted to excommunicate any, any re- memories of the old regime, anything that was old regime related from the fish tank to the God awful sculpture in center field to the two really good announcers all had to go. And I think they, they found two guys who are probably pretty talented. D- they're, they're mixed together and just their their overall aura and the broadcast is, is just kind of off-putting. It, it's frankly, honestly, I mean, I used to root for the Marlins when I when I lived down here. I don't, I don't even really watch them very much anymore just because I just I don't want to endure the broadcast. Yeah, that says a lot there. And, and you know, and, and what you said, Eric, too, I'm glad you brought up the names. You know, the Dave O'Brien-Joe Angel pairing on radio. Was incredible. Yeah, incredible. Amazing. It was awesome. We carried their games when they started on, uh, on WGTO. Uh, back in the 90s and that was a it was it was a great listen yeah a lot of marlins fans in fact they got on the tv because marlin fans didn't like jay randolph and gary carter they yeah. liked the o'brien angel combo on there and i was one of them and eventually they they paired them up on tv and it off we go and then they put chambi in there it's they've had a great history there of broadcasters it's pretty remarkable I can remember going to, uh, I think it was pro player stadium at that point. And when you walk into the concourse, they would have Dave O'Brien's voice playing over the speakers, oh, reminding you of check your bags here. And, you know, don't drink and drive, whatever all those <laughs> reminders were. And it was just so fantastic. And don't forget Dave Van Horn too, also on radio. He was, he's yes. a, uh, him, him and Glenn Geffner. I used to listen to a lot of radio um, back when they were on 790. And, uh, and th- those two were really good together as well too. It, it's, it is a shame because they had a good run of broadcasters, even after, uh, after Boog left and after Dave left, you know, Len Casper was kind of, 
of an interesting hire. I don't think anyone knew kind of knew who he was, but he, he came in, fit in really well. Can't you know blame him for jumping at the Cubs opportunity when he did, uh, but it, it certainly has, has definitely taken a turn for the worse. Uh, and you wonder how, how – um, they had some issues with the contract. You guys probably both know more about this than I do. I think they had issues kind of re-signing their contract. There was a period of time where they weren't even going to be shown locally, and I think they got a last-minute deal done with, with Fox Sports or whatever down there. Um, and I just you, you wonder if, if Jeter and, and, and company care about ratings or if they care more about the brand and, and protecting their image. That's a good question. And, you know, the issue they have there is they don't get big local numbers for various reasons, among them being that the Heat have kind of taken over there. Eric Reed really is the voice of that town now, which is kind of crazy as, as a Dolphin fan to even admit that because it used to be Dolphins, Dolphins, Dolphins. But from a broadcast standpoint, people, re- I think, recognize Eric Reed, who's going to be a legend down there uh, from a basketball standpoint. And so as a result, you're right, baseball's kind of lacking there a little bit from a in- – Interest standpoint, their rating wise. The opposite is with Tampa Bay. Neil, uh, you know, Andrew Freed and, and those guys, they do a heck of a job. They're getting big numbers, uh, ratings, radio and TV over there. So it's very fascinating. But you're right, the Marlins thing is tough. And I don't know. I think to answer your question, I mean, I think Jeter's just, as long as the broadcast is very positive, I don't think the ratings really he cares about that much. Yeah. And you, of course, you know, uh, before Dave O'Brien worked for, for the Marlins, he did radio with the Atlanta Braves, who yeah, we're yeah. talking about now. And, uh, <laughs> Nice way to work a segue in there. Uh, uh, their, their main broadcast uh, on TV, Chip Carey, Jeff Francoeur, um, Tom Glavin mixes in uh, sometimes as the, as, the, as the analyst, sometimes as a third man. Um, you know, and that's a, you know, uh, you know Chip, he is, he's kind of polarizing, even to Braves fans. Um, you know, a lot of folks uh, thought that, you know, he's, he's living off the family name. And uh, I would disagree with that because I, you know, obviously uh, no Chip. Uh, and uh, been a guest on Jeff Allen's Force Talk uh, several times, and uh, you know Chip, the guy puts the work in. He loves baseball. He he, he does he does a great job with uh, with the new stuff analytics, but can still talk old school stuff. Jeff Rancor, I think he's coming along. Uh, you mentioned uh, Eric that uh, he was probably out of place in the uh, the, the Turner playoff booth. Um, he probably hadn't been seasoned enough for that at, at this point in his career, but uh, he's coming along nicely, and uh, and. I like Tom Glavin whenever he's on. He has a has a nice perspective and, and does a really good job there. My favorite part of uh, Braves broadcasts, I've mentioned, I, I pull my MLB app up a lot and I listen to uh, the radio broadcast quite a bit. Uh, they have uh, Jim Powell, who was uh, one time uh, with the Milwaukee Brewers, so he worked along Bob, alongside the great Bob Uecker. Uh He works with Joe Simpson. Joe Simpson was on TV and now has been uh, put on radio full time. And I think Joe Simpson's outstanding. I, you know, he's not afraid to not afraid to have an opinion. Uh, has a good sense of humor, and they also have a, a guy by the name of Ben Ingram that uh, that they mix in. They kind of rotate around uh, that pairing. So sometimes Powell and Ingram, two play-by-play guys, are doing the game together. And Ingram's one of these guys who came up through the minor league baseball ranks and and, and worked many years uh, in in the minor leagues. And you could tell uh, he's done a lot of radio because he's very descriptive, and that's and that's what you want on a radio broadcast. I mean, you know, talks about you know the pitchers on the mound. He's twirling the ball behind him. You know, just 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 great theater of the mind stuff. So uh, uh, that's my thoughts on the Braves broadcast. I don't know how much uh, uh, you guys get to see those, but uh, we'll start with you, Eric, and get your thoughts on on that crew. Well, with Chip, I'm a Carey fan. Uh, it's weird though because I think he's good, but yet occasionally, and I 
joked about it earlier, but he has these like brain cramps. Man, look, every broadcaster does. I've made my mistakes on air. Everybody's done that. So I, I don't want to make it sound like, but his is always strange. Like that incident where he talks about Jimi Hendrix, the Hendrix pitcher, right? It was the Reds. Yeah. And he's like, he's the first pitcher ever with the last name X. His last name ends in an X. And we're looking at each other's like, what's he talking about? <laughs> like, it's one thing to kind of, you know, like, did you, like, where did you come up with that? Like, how did you come up with that? Are you just, like, trying to figure out something to say about this guy? Like, hello, you're working, you're, you're the voice of the franchise that had the Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox. How does this happen? I don't understand it. Did he ever apologize for it? And then how did the producers, like, somebody not get in his ear and say, you know, Chip, there's this Greg Maddox guy, actually, so that's not correct. <laughs> I don't understand. So I'm very confused. Like I was kind of, I almost wanted to message you and say, Jeff, can you reach out to Chip and tell him that's not true? Like, can you just help him, give him a lifeline or something? But I think he's actually good. But the problem is he'll make such a, a weird blunder like that that just throws everything off. Here's the other one. I want your thoughts on this, Jeff, because you probably, I know you've had him on and you've talked. In a weird way, I always felt like he was better at basketball. Like, I really enjoyed him doing the Magic games when he was the voice of the Magic on TV and David Steele was on the radio. I'm surprised he never – I guess the answer is no. He probably wasn't as interested in basketball. as. I'm surprised he never did more basketball in his career. Yeah. Uh, uh, baseball is, is definitely his yeah. true love. And, uh, and, what I'm, and you kind of mentioned, you know, you know, he had the big gaffe when he was working for Turner – yeah, uh, in the playoffs, right. uh, you know, talking about a you know a deep fly ball that I think was as far as second base. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, kind of lost sight of what was happening in the game there, and uh, and you know he he kind of uh, he took some licks for that and had yes, to had did. to recover. So, um, yeah, you know, yeah, he he is like I say, he's a little polarizing, you know, and you know, and he does carry the Homer thing uh, a little too far sometimes. But uh, I will say, by and large. Uh, a Braves broadcast is is closer to the middle than a Marlins, oh, yeah. the Marlins broadcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's not saying a lot. I mean, yeah, well. I mean we could put the three of us together and do a broadcast, <laughs> probably be a little more better yeah. balanced there. I think the issue I have with the current Braves guys, and it's nothing against them, but I always – they're kind of – I judge them against the national crew that used to have. I mean, the TBS days, they were ahead of their time. Think oh, about yeah. that, right? Like – that was kind of like the foreshadowing the future, what we see now when you have MLB TV, what all these networks teams do now. I mean, with Skip Carey and Pete Van Wern and, and, and Don Sutton, they were a national, they were the Braves guys, but yet you tuned in because they still talked about the other team. And they've kind of, you know, they would have flourished under today's era with MLB TV package. They would be in the conversation with the Giants broadcasters and the Yes Network and Nesson. They would be in that conversation and, you know, I was a huge Skip Carey fan. Like, you know, Me and too. he, I just think he, I like the fact he would not be shy to show his personality, but he was the guy that would be the first to give credit to the other team and talk about, man, this guy is incredible. He's great. And I thought their presentation was fantastic. Uh, so, unfortunately, because of that, I look at them now, and I, it's a tough act. I don't know how to explain it. It's very difficult. It's tough for me to judge them because it's different now, but they're not as good as they were back in the day. So it's for me, it's hard. Like, I'm shocked that, Don, that John Smoltz is not a part of that. Like, to me, that would be the perfect fit, would be a Smoltz to be their analyst, but he's not. And maybe Smoltz just doesn't want to do local stuff. So in fairness. And he's, he's done some games with him from he? time okay. to time, but it's, been, but it's been a while. Right. But I'm glad to see Glavin involved in that. So I think it's good. 
But again, I'm the wrong guy to ask because when I think of the Braves broadcast, I always think back to TBS. I think it back to that theme of TBS. It was a big deal. And I enjoyed those guys back then. And I think they were kind of what the future, you know, they kind of, they were ahead of their time because now we see all these teams, the networks, Yes Network and all the local, the team's regional broadcasts. It, I think in a lot of ways, it's basically what TBS did back in the day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, Ernie Johnson Sr., who was, was the original right. Braves broadcaster, uh, was a tremendous... And you would be the first to admit, a lot of Braves fans out there because of that, with TBS. Yes. And so, they were a national team uh, because of that exposure. Because it wasn't like they were they were doing games when the Braves were terrible. Yes, and still... This is Dale Murphy, and but people it was still... And they still did a good job. Yeah, no question. In fact, uh, real quick before we get to Adam's thoughts, uh, you know, uh, uh, I heard Chip Carey on a, on a podcast one time uh, telling a story about... Uh, uh, the difference between his his dad, Skip, and his grandfather, Harry. And he said, well, I'll put it to you this way. It's like, a, uh, we'll, we'll use the same, pl- we'll use the same uh, player instance. You know, say Jim DeShays was pitching for the Cubs and it was having a bad day. Well, Harry would say, good God, he's terrible. So what, what, so, so Skip Carey would do it a different way. He would say, He's got to be awful tired of backing up third base. <laughs> yeah, far less sarcastic, yeah. So, so that was a, a fun story that I, I wanted to relate. Adam, let's get your thoughts. On- yeah, I've, I've always liked Chip Carey. So he, um, uh, uh, story time with, with Adam here. So in, in 2003, I was in grad school at UCF and uh, a lot of my classes were night classes. So I got really into the Cubs that year because obviously that was their magical season. And there was a local watering hole that I won't mention. They're not a, a sponsor of your show, Jeff, so I won't throw them free publicity, but it was in the Water for Lakes area that was a, a Chicago themed bar. And if you went to that place during the afternoon and you were drinking a, a drink of some sort and the Cubs hit a homer, they would refill your drink for you, right? So essentially, if you were sitting there and then Sammy Sosa, who obviously was the big player at that point, uh, you, so you get a free drink. So I went there a ton um, during grad school years. And so I got, to, I got to listen to Chip Carey a bunch. I always liked him, but I think he's in that space now. Kind of the way Eric framed it up was people are waiting for that mistake. And as soon as it happens, they're gonna, they're, they pounce on him where maybe other broadcasters get a little leeway, right? You just kind of you know, scratch your head and move on. But people are kind of waiting for Chip to kind of make that mistake. And when they do, they kind of pounce on him. I think he's a solid broadcast. I, I, I've never had an issue. Um, you know, I think to, to Eric's point, there are some gaffes that make you scratch your head, but every announcer kind of does that. And in some respects, that kind of endears you to a home crowd. If you kind of know, yeah, we all have that crazy uncle where you're like, ah, that's just uncle Joe. And I think for some, for some baseball guys, that's just, that's just our announcer. I really want Jeff Francoeur to be better. Um, and I think, I think reps are what he needs. I mean, he was one of my favorite players this side of Tim Spooniebarger. So I want him to be a lot better. And I think he just needs some of those reps, Jeff. And I think he'll get there because um, I think he has some potential there too. I haven't caught a lot of the Glavin stuff, so I'll defer to you guys on that one too. But again, I think it's a good broadcast at the times I've heard it. Um, you know, I, to, to, to Eric's point, it's, it's, it's never going to be what it was. And that's not a knock on these two guys. Cause it's, it's, it's just, these it are is. tough. These are tough shoes to fill. And I think if you're a Braves fan, as long as you've been a Braves fan, you know, Jeff, you've had to kind of just get used to the way this is now functioning. Um, and so I can see where some fans are always going to hold on to that old ideal and nothing will ever be good enough. And I think that's a really tough, uh, tough litmus test for these guys. But I think it's a solid broadcast. Um, again, I think Frank Cork can get better. Uh, and I think, I think Chip is solid. You know, he's going to do things that maybe make you scratch your head and make you, you know, go to Twitter and, and scream and yell in all caps. But uh, I think you know what you're going to get day in and day out from Chip. 
Yeah, and and he's got a little bit of his dad's sense of humor too, but uh, not as not as uh, not as hyper, but it's still it's still pretty good. Um, so we'll go to our wild card round. I don't know if you guys wanted to uh, throw in anything else, but I, I did want to mention uh, uh, just news from this weekend. Actually, uh, uh, Darren Sutton, who's the son of Don Sutton, um, who unfortunately passed away last year, Darren Sutton was uh, fired by the LA Angels after just before the All Star break. So he was the filling guy, as you mentioned. Matt Excursion does uh, Angels games, so. Uh, Darren Sutton, who had previously worked for the Brewers and the Diamondbacks, would be the guy who covered that ground, and he's already been fired before the season is over. So uh, he did not get an explanation why. And you know, and I've heard Darren Sutton before, and I don't, you know, don't, you know, I think he's, you know, he's a little better than average, but wouldn't put him amongst the uh, uh, the best in the business as far as uh, baseball play-by-play guys uh, go. Uh, anything you guys want to bring up as far as uh, other broadcast crews or other? Notables? Yeah, I mean, first of all, the sudden thing, I've heard, you know, this was his second time with the Angels, and I guess he did radio for them a long behind, time ago. Yeah. Right. Maybe there's some behind the scenes stuff that we're not aware of. Again, I mentioned earlier, I think Rich Waltz has been rumored to take over in that spot. Jose Moto's already in there, has been talked about. I, I just want to add, I think baseball, I got MLB TV. Uh, they have a tremendous – you look at a lot of the regional – it's been amazing quality, like national quality. I'm a Michael K fan. Uh, you, know, you know, if you've heard my home run calls, see, I got it from him in a lot of ways because I watch him call the games for the Yankees on Yes Network. I think David Cohn's a great analyst, should be national. That's why I kind of scratch my head at some of the analysts that are national because I think there's a lot of quality there. I'm a big Joe Davis or Hershiser fan, what they do at Dodgers. The Giants speaks for themselves how good they are, that depth of that lineup. I'm an Arcillo fan. I think there's a lot of quality on the baseball side. Even though basketball is my favorite sport, the NBA, I kind of scratch my head sometimes with some of the basketball broadcast teams from their teams because they are very homerisk, much more uh, still on a lot of these basketball broadcasts to some extent. Whereas baseball, I'm not saying they're not homerist, but I feel like when I'm watching, I still feel like it is a national type broadcast in a lot of, you know, depending on who you're watching and listening to. So they're calling the game as they see it, not yes. necessarily from from a from a fan sure. standpoint. Yeah, correct. Uh, so I think K is fantastic. Yankees, I, I would say throw them out. I mean, if I did a top five, he's in the top five. Joe Davis, Hershiser, the Giants crew. I mean, it must be Adam. You were on the West Coast. You you were probably around some of those broadcasts there. That. That had a much better than Florida, with all due respect to Florida, but love stayed here. <laughs> uh, you're, yeah, I mean, it's, not, it's a low bar, <laughs> but yes, <laughs> you, you are correct. Oh, I, that's my take on that deal. Uh, I think baseball moving forward, I think more and more people are just going to get used to watching the regionals. And I think from a national standpoint, I think we got to stop looking at the regular season ratings. I wonder if the regular season package as years go on will dwindle and be less and less, and you'll see more coverage towards streaming. I think that's the future for broadcasting baseball games. And maybe even the, we'll, maybe we'll include basketball too, that the future now is people watch their favorite teams play. Cause you can do that however you want easier than ever before. And you can stream it instead of being forced to watch what's on TV. Adam, any closing thoughts? Yeah, I think for me, one of the one of the bigger uh, adjustments has been, you know, I was so accustomed to that Saturday afternoon turn on Fox and there was a baseball game on, and and now to to Elo's point, is it on TBS? Is it on FS1? Is it on Fox? Is it is it four o'clock? Is it seven o'clock? 
Um, and so I, I think, and plus baseball has some of the most archaic blackout rules as well. I mean, they're, I'm, I'm, I'm in Jacksonville. And so there are times where I can't, I actually get blacked out from Braves games. Right. But then I'll, I'll try to turn on the Marlins games. I don't get that, but I get the Rays game. So I don't even understand my whole blackout map. I, I haven't spent much time researching it, but they have some of the most archaic ba- uh, blackout rules of, of any, of any of the sports out there. And I think that's something they have to figure out how to address that. Because I think in today's day and age, to Eric's point, where you can just go stream these games anywhere you want. You know, there was there was appointment viewing for baseball back in the day, and I'm not. And, and even you can even if you made a regional broadcast, the, I, I don't know where to find the game sometimes, and I have to I have to really stop and search and look. And I think that's that's something they have to figure out, and, and also figure out the blackout stuff because I think you know I see it on Twitter every you know, every couple of days. You see someone complain. Well, I guess we lost uh, Adam there momentarily. Uh, <laughs> he, <laughs> see, see, he, he, he brought up people complaining. And then they the got blackout the- rule, don't go after <laughs> baseball. And the blackout rule, man, they will take you out. They get you every single time. <laughs> did so don't bet yeah the, the government yeah the government just <laughs> shut me down <laughs> i got blocked out it's, it's, it's amazing <laughs> yeah see what don't bad mouth them there adam you, you learned your lesson there <laughs> there you go well guys it's been a lot of fun uh and uh, we're going to morph this uh this series of shows we've been doing into a media spotlight uh type endeavor because we we've run through all the broadcasters so uh now we'll be able to uh Uh, Well, there's so much news out there. Like I just learned recently that Adam's closer friends with Mike Golick than uh, apparently Mike Greenberg is now. So, (laughs) I mean, that's congrats, Adam. Did you know that? I think yeah, I think Adam's been blacked out again. So. Oh well, then, see there you go. Don't see so Mike Greenberg will not allow him to talk about Mike Greenberg at this point. Uh, Adam's back with us now. Did you did you catch any of that? I did not know, but I'm sure it was great. I just mentioned the fact that you're closer friends with Mike Golick than Mike Greenberg is. Apparently, that's what we've learned recently. In Mike Golick's uh, interviews. I still have his number. I don't know if Greedy does. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> So, I, I mean, so it didn't sound like he did. Maybe no. an email address, but it was like Mike Golick at hotmail.com, probably <laughs> like an old college one that doesn't even work anymore. Oh, man. Oh. Good stuff. But you mentioned we have Olympics coming up too, guys. So Olympic uh, is always an interesting time to, to watch broadcasting as well, too. So curious to see how some of the Olympic coverage, particularly with, you know, like basketball is on right now, you, you get non-traditional announcers who you don't hear from NBA side. So how's that going to work? And Eric, I know you're probably watching it closely, but the uh, men's basketball team finally won an ex- exhibition game tonight. So they're hey! off the schneid. Yeah, off the schneid. Here we go. <laughs> Bring it on, baby. Bring it on. Yeah, yeah no, you got Argentina. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, and that's interesting too. You bring up uh, the Olympics because now it's a, a, a stage now where you do see the uh, uh, the shared announcer uh, thing happening with uh, you know ESPN announcers and and other networks. Yeah, Jason Benetti. Benetti's going to call the baseball Olympics with Eduardo Perez. Now the beauty, the advantage they're going to have is they're going to be doing it in studio. They don't have to go all the way to Japan. So probably they probably NBC had a lot of easier time getting guys to commit to it because they didn't have to travel for it. Yeah. yeah, and I was I was watching this game on mute while we were brought uh, while we were talking. It looked like Kara Lawson was on color she for is. the men's game. So I haven't heard her in a while. So I'm curious how that worked out. So you may get some interesting uh, pairings. This could be a time where somebody kind of separates themselves and maybe makes a bit of a name for themselves for uh, for a larger play uh, in, in in one of these different sports. 
All right, guys. Well, as always, I do appreciate your participation. Get those shameless plugs in. Adam, you first. Sons of UCF. You can find us on all your social media stuff. We also do a live broadcast on Thursdays on the internet. Uh, go to twonightsmedia.com. That's where we have all of that content uh, stored for everybody. Eric? Uh, I'm Eric Lopez, Eric Lopez Elo. You can follow me on Twitter. I do a lot of stuff, softball coverage, basketball coverage, and, of course, obviously UCF coverage. Go to UCF underscore Bannerette, Black and Gold Bannerette. We'll have a weekly podcast talking UCF athletics, and uh, I will not be bad-mouthing the blackout rule in baseball so I don't get shut out completely from those shows. Yes, and and if you don't follow <laughs> Eric on Twitter, you'll also get the latest ratings and uh, viewership yeah. numbers uh, on a very regular basis, which I appreciate. Thank All you. right, guys, thanks again. Awesome, guys. Always a pleasure to talk to both of you. Thanks, guys. And we are back to close out with a TV theme right after this. No Republicans, no Democrats, no team from Washington, no team with a star on the side of their head. We don't even talk about alpha and beta storms around here. And if you believe all of that, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Captain and Company in the morning, join me 9 to noon. Weekday mornings on OldSchool101.com because class is always in session around here. Virus or no virus? That's the theme from Star Trek Voyager, science fiction series created by Rick Berman, Michael Piller, and Jerry Taylor that aired from January 1995 to May 2001 on UPN. Remember that? (laughs) 172 episodes over seven seasons. It was the fifth in the Star Trek franchise. Uh, Obviously, the original series. uh, But it also follows the uh, adventures of the Starfleet vessel USS Voyager as it attempts to return home after being stranded in the Delta Quadrant on the far side of the Milky Way galaxy. Paramount Pictures commissioned the series following the termination of Star Trek The Next Generation to accompany the ongoing Star Trek Deep Space Nine. They wanted it to help launch UPN 
And that series uh, was developed to chronologically overlap with Deep Space Nine so they could maintain thematic continuity with elements that had been introduced on The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. The complex relationship between Starfleet and ex-Federation colonists known as the Maquis was an element and a persistent central theme. Voyager was the first Star Trek series to feature a female captain, Catherine Janeway, played by Kate Mulgrew as the lead character. As the story ends, uh, or how the story begins, rather, Voyager departs Deep Space Nine on a mission to the treacherous Badlands. They're searching for a missing ship piloted by a team of Maquis rebels, which Voyager's security officer, Vulcan Lieutenant Tuvok, has secretly infiltrated. While in the Badlands, Voyager is enveloped by a powerful energy wave that kills Silverwood's crew, damages the ship, and strands it in the Delta Quadrant more than 70,000 light years from Earth. The wave was not a natural phenomenon. In fact, it was used by an alien an entity known as the Caretaker to pull Voyager into the Delta co- uh, Quadrant and responsible for the continued care of a camp of a race of aliens native to that quadrant and had been inducting other species from around the galaxy in an effort to find a successor. The Maquis ship was also pulled into the Delta Quadrant. Eventually, the two crews reluctantly agreed to join voices after the Caretaker space station is destroyed in a pitched space battle with local space aliens, the Kizan. Chakotay, leader of the Maquis group, becomes Voyager's first officer. Bolana Torres, half-human, half-Klingon from the Maquis, becomes chief engineer. Tom Paris, whom Janeway released from a Federation prison to help find the Maquis ship, is made the Voyager's helm officer. And due to the deaths of the ship's entire medical staff, the doctor, an emergency medical hologram designed only for short-term use, is employed as the ship's full-time chief medical officer. Delta Quadrant natives Neelix and Kess are welcomed aboard as uh, they uh, join the crew as well. As we mentioned, uh, Catherine uh, uh, Janeway is played by Kate Mulgrew. Rest of the cast, uh, uh, Chakotay was played by Robert Beltran. Uh, Tuvok was played by Tim Russ. Tom Paris uh, was played by Robert Duncan McNeil. Bolana Torres was portrayed by Roxanne Dawson. Harry Kim uh, was played by Garrett Wang. And the Doctor, the hologram, was played beautifully, I might add, by Robert Picardo. And Neelix played by uh, uh, Ethan Phillips, who at one point was on the cast of Benson. And Kess was played by Jennifer Lien. And Seven of Nine, played by Jerry Ryan. She was a disassimilated Borg and was on the series for uh, seasons four through seven so uh star trek voyager our tv theme for this week and with that we are done here thanks for listening to jeff allen sports talk follow jeff on twitter at jeff allen underscore 88 on facebook at jeff allen 88 and the website jeff allen sports and you can reach out to the show anytime by email jeff allen sports talk at gmail.com Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.